Oh my god. I don't feel like it should be that hard, Michelle. It's Chamber of Secrets. That is the worst one. You like Chamber of Secrets? No, I like all of them. Oh man. It's like you are picking a favorite (laughs) child. You're not supposed to do it. Um, no, yeah, I guess you're right. Well, and what I want to say, of the movies alone, like, uh, part one uh, in the final book, like, is probably the, the most boring. I agree. Yes. But, but. Yeah, I agree. But at the same time, like, it's really important. I always love, when I think about the kind of reader I am, I'm usually into a lot of, uh, books that are a little slow, but they build up the plot and they're, everything connects at the end. Like, that's kind of my jam. And I think that's why I still like that one, even though it was slower. So from a mute, that's what I was debating. What about books? Of the Harry Potter books? Yeah. I, I refuse. You refuse to pick I'm a I'm not going to do it. You're not going to pick a favorite no, Harry because, Potter book? No, J.K. Rowling might be listening to this. <laughs> I can almost guarantee <laughs> that J.K. Rowling is not listening to this. I mean, she might. She might. You never know. I'm not going to, I'm not going to mess it up by... <laughs> JK, you're the best. You're not playing favorites. (laughs) She's not playing favorites and she's not taking the chance. I love that it took me maybe all of five minutes to have a serious conversation about something. Two of Small Indiana, the EdTech podcast is up, and this one includes one of my all-time favorite Twitter follows, as well as the wizard of blended learning and online professional development, Michelle Eaton. But before we dive in, just a quick reminder to register now for the Indiana Connected Educators Conference coming up in October. You can find all the registration info, dates, and agenda at iceindiana.org. Michelle Eaton is the Director of Virtual and Blended Learning at Wayne Township. She leads staff and course development for the Achieve Virtual Education Academy. She's also a COSIN Certified Educational Technology Leader and a 2016 Next Generation Leader. She continues to be the President of the ISTE Online Learning Network. She's involved in everything. We get into this year's ICE Conference, her affection towards online learning, and her passion for developing individual learning plans online. So here's Michelle Eaton. It's Episode 2 of Small Indiana, the EdTech Podcast. Thank you. I leave them out on the desk and people are like, am I getting stickers? And I'm like, absolutely. So if I wasn't, a couple I was taking Small Indiana Podcast Yay. stickers. I don't necessarily know if I'm going to make the cut on that laptop. Oh, you you have a lot. Just, um, I see the princess so... emoji for our <laughs> listeners at home. We've got the butler bulldog. Of course. That's um, not going anywhere. So. Lots of emojis. A just donut. Some really cool. And, and a, a donut. donut. There's some donuts. Mm-hmm. Now, things have evolved since I saw you um, for the first time at Heck. You have definitely added to your sticker collection. Right. I started with a, a real strategy, and every sticker had a place. No, I know because I remember the. It was first a whole time, conversation. Oh, we were in the, we were in like a we were Google Expedition conference mm-hmm. um, at Heck, and it, it was like an earlier. It was like a day before the actual conference got started, and uh, Michelle walks in the room, and I'm like, "Oh man, she's got a really good sticker game. She's got a few select stickers. They're in great, have great placement on the laptop." <laughs> and uh, somebody asked her, "Like, oh, it looks like you're really." And she and the one thing she says is, "I have a very strict, you know, policy <laughs> on where stickers are going." I think the policy went out the window. It did. So many You know stickers. what, though? It's still, there's still a lot of thought that goes into it, but <laughs> the strategy, the strategy could maybe have some improvement. So, if you haven't realized by now, uh, and you're not a show notes type person, we are speaking today with Michelle Eaton. She's the Director of Virtual and Blended Learning for MSD of Wayne Township in Indianapolis, Indiana. She focuses on staff and course development for Achieve Virtual Learning Education Academy. And that's, is that here? Is that a MSD product? Yeah, it's Wayne Township's third high school. Cool. Um, You also provide, obviously, district leadership for the uh, blended learning initiatives. You're also a COSIN CETL. I am. There's so much stuff here to talk about. Michelle is like, like, oh, certification this. Next next generation leader that. She's in the SD Online Learning Network, IUPUI Online Instructor. Does a lot with the Indiana Connected Educators and ICE Conference an organization, and also a big moderator for the Indiana eLearn chat. You can follow her on Twitter at Mish Eaton. Let's say that's M-I-C-H-E-E 
A-T-O-N. Did yep. I get that right? You did. It, it's rough out there when you're trying to change your Twitter handle. Like, there's not a lot. There's no, not a lot left. You have you, to get creative. you got to do what you you got to do. What you gotta do. <laughs> I'll tell you. Michelle Eaton, zero to, um, I think I went up to 25, all taken. So, oh, boy. Yeah. that's It can get rough out there in the, <laughs> in the Twitter sphere these days. And we're going to get into a little bit on, on Twitter chats and things like that because she is very active with that hashtag. But let's start off with just the big thing coming up, which is the ICE conference. Yes. And I'm so excited because it's one of my favorite conferences. And it's the Indiana Connected Educators Conference. The theme this year is Level Up, and we're less than a month away. I know. I'm so excited. Um, I can't wait for it to get here. So uh, the theme is Level Up. We we cover anything Indiana e-learning. Um, so if you are integrating technology, interested in integrating technology in any way, um, this is the place to be. But every year we have some sort of theme where we can focus some of our a spotlight speaker. So we're bringing in some great speakers um, to talk a lot about game-based learning, challenge-based learning, play in the classroom, um, and I uh, love it. I love a good theme, and so we're definitely carrying that level up theme across the conference. So it should be a gamified experience. Um, we are definitely bringing the fun. So. I am so excited for it to get here. It's um, all, my, all my friends get together. All my ed tech friends get together, and we get to hang out and learn and have a lot of fun. So you can't ask for anything more than that. I've also been intrigued about how many times this state's educational technology leaders get together, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. I think we are kind of ahead of the game when it comes to just connecting and collaborating, all that fun stuff. So uh, it was just, it's just always great when we can get together Mm -hmm. and just discuss some of the things that are happening because we're in an industry that changes. Mm -hmm. Well, and I'm, so I've connected, here's the thing about being in online learning specifically, it's hard to connect inside your own state in terms of online learning. In a lot of ways, it's every man for himself. And um, there aren't as many people that do the job that I do nearby. And so I'm constantly trying to connect outside. And when I talk to other people from other states and just casually, what seems so just second nature, this is how we do things in Indiana. This is how we're connected. Yeah, I know all of the tech integration specialists in the state. Um, yeah, we get together several times a, a year and, um, and learn together and have these specific meetings and professional development opportunities. Um, and it blows everybody away outside yeah. of Indiana that this is just the norm, that we are so connected. And, and that's a lot That's a lot of why, I don't know if you know this, but ICE used to be uh, the Indiana Computer Educators. And we recently, in the last few years, rebranded to become the Indiana Connected Educators to really embrace that. And I think it clears up some confusion. You know, this organization's been around for a long time. So when you're the Indiana Computer Educators, I think... It sends the wrong message. It's not that we are teaching computer skills or that we're um, all teaching in a lab. So a lot of that was inspired by a lot of the work that we're doing with INE Learn. Talk a little bit about the logistics of this conference um, as far as, you know, dates and locations, some of the highlights that you would recommend, and maybe some places we can go to, to start signing up if those people have kind of, if they've been dragging their feet as far as getting in and registered to go to the right. conference. This is the month where you have the biggest registration, so don't feel like you're, you're too late. Um, you can go to iceindiana.org. Um, and get lots of information. Um, if you're following me on Twitter, I'm constantly blasting it out. So lots of opportunities to um, get to our website and to get registered. Um, but the conference is uh, October 12th and 13th. We have a pre-conference day on October 11th. Um, and the pre-conference is split up into two parts. Um, the bulk of the day is actually the INE Learn Coach Ed Camp. And that's free to anyone. So even if you're not attending ICE, you're more than welcome to come to Coach Ed Camp. Um, And it's going to be at Noblesville High School, which is where our conference is. So ICE is hosting it. And then as soon as that's over, we are having a pre-conference event that's free to anyone that's registered um, from 4 to 6. And it is going to be in... Oh, I forget what we've... I have Diana Gill on it. Ed Coach Camp or, or no. Ed Tech Coach Camp? Or was no, it? that's during the day. Oh. Um, I have Diana Gill organizing Indiana Ed Tech Idol, I think. Um, so there's definitely going to be um, some music video creation, some nerdy Ed Tech okay. learning going on. Yeah. Um, I might be a judge, and I may or may not be playing the role of Simon. Um, <laughs> so, and taking that role very seriously. For some reason, that doesn't surprise me. No, it shouldn't at all. (laughs) It shouldn't surprise you that I, like, shot my hand up and volunteered immediately to do that. Um, So it should be a whole lot of fun, or that's going to be a kind of a silly social way to kick off the conference. Um, Conference is the 12th and the 13th at Noblesville. 
Um, we've got some keynote speakers. We have Adam Bello coming, um, and Don Wetrick is our day two keynote. And um, lots of just surprise and delights throughout the conference. I pulled that from Buddy Berry, who was our, uh, our keynoter last year. But um, day one, I do have some of the EdTech heroes also planning a full group game as a lunchtime keynote. Um, so I'm, I'm keeping some of that a surprise, but it'll be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. Those and knowing are, those guys are great. Yes. And knowing them, it should um, be a load of laughs. So we have that going on. We have a social that Thursday night. So the 12th, we're going to be at uh, pinheads and it's free to any, any attendee. So we're going to play some duck pin bowling and have some food and hang out. Um, so that's going on that night. And then uh, Friday we have um, a special new addition to the conference. We are getting a lot of the Hoosier Student Digital Leader groups together, and they're going to be doing some poster-like sessions. So we have a bunch of student tech teams coming and presenting, some of them on um, you know, setting up a student tech team, what the curriculum looks like, um, but then also just kids teaching us about uh, some of their favorite tools and things that they're seeing happening in the classroom, which is, um, which is always refreshing to hear. It's I been think. so inspiring to... These, these student groups specifically, and I know they have a separate conference, and mm-hmm. um, I'm sure we'll be promoting that, you know, when that comes around. But those who's your student digital leaders, that that was something that uh, when I first got into this, I I knew I wanted, but I didn't know how to brand it, or I didn't know how we would um, implement it at Shelbyville. It's really kind of taken off once you start getting kids involved and like showing them the process. Uh, we have a lot to learn mm-hmm. <laughs> from our own students, um, and that's really taken off. Right. Well, Matt, I mean, what a novel idea, right? Empower students and yep. then great things happen. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> right. That's why we're here. Exactly. Uh, the biggest, I, I'm just kind of looking through some of the stuff here on, on the conference from last year and some of the things. Uh, the Ignite sessions got pretty crazy last year. They did. So same guys in charge of that are in charge of our lunchtime keynote game. <laughs> great. Um, I, I just know, I've, I generally ask that they do run everything by me because oh, no. they make me a little... <laughs> A little nervous. Mostly the wardrobe. That's really what I'm most concerned about. <laughs> like, just tell me what you're wearing. And then, um, no, but they they have a lot of fun. So this one, I've, I've challenged them to top themselves this year. So we'll see. Oh, and I'm sure they will. They, they never. <laughs> They've taken the challenge. Yeah, they don't ever shy away from, from any of the challenges <laughs> that we have. Let's talk a little bit about Twitter. It's the first thing I open in the morning. It's the last thing I open at night. You know, it's, it's something that we're constantly kind of tied to in this uh, professional development realm that we live in. You know, just the hashtag Indiana eLearn is probably uh, the best hashtag that you can follow. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're a big moderator of that, and you're involved in all of the Twitter chats uh, that happen. Talk a little bit about when those take place. That way, for some of our new listeners that say, you know, okay, I, I've got a Twitter account, or I just started a Twitter account, uh, where do I get started, or how do I get involved with a Twitter chat? So maybe we walk them through the process on um, what days and times and things like that. Absolutely. So INE Learn meets um, on Thursday nights at 9. And so each week has a different moderator. I moderate second Thursdays of every month. And each moderator's week has a theme. So mine is generally online and blended learning, plus any crazy ideas we have. So my chat this month is actually not online and blended learning. We had this joke about having this web tool throwdown, like SmackDown, um, during our last chat. And I got really excited. And I'm like, we're going to have, like, the, we're going to turn this into a debate. And I'm going to make everyone um, take a side. Each question is going to be taking a side. And then we're going to debate it out and see who rises the victor. Um, so that's going to be fun. So sometimes I just do silly stuff um, during my chat. But every Thursday, 9 p.m., you just get on Twitter. And if you do a search of hashtag learn um, and follow those tweets, basically we all get on at the same time and have a conversation. And it works because every time any of us tweet, we put that hashtag on it so that people that are searching it can keep all of the, the tweets in one thread so it's a conversation. And so... We get on, Twitter's usually an asynchronous tool, um, but it's our chance to get together at the same time and have a conversation. And what I love so much about this particular chat, I, I participate in a lot of Twitter chats, and sometimes they can quickly turn into echo chambers, right? Um, where we're just preaching to the choir, yep. or not really digging deep into tough issues, we're not pushing each other. And part of 
you know, we mentioned earlier that Indiana is so connected and we have such a strong community that we have developed such a safe space for hard conversations. You know, we get together, we're excited to see each other, and then we talk about things and don't always agree, and we push each other's thinking, and then we finish it with a funny gif and move on, and we're, we're friends, and I love that. I love that I can get on at 9 o'clock at night and know that I'm leaving a better educator, which is pretty phenomenal, and, and not something that happens just overnight. It's not something that happens because you have good, you know, Twitter questions. It's because of the community that we've developed here across the state. So it's a good one. It's a good one if you're ready to... Um, connect. You're ready to uh, learn something new, get pushed a little bit in your thinking. Um, so I love it. That's, that's one of my favorite nights, favorite days of the week is yeah. Thursday. This state has been so willing to help me, I guess I would say. In an industry that prides itself on innovation, you would assume that we would all like to keep that internally. Like I would... I would keep my ideas to myself because if I share that with you, then you'll be just as good as me. And I'm trying to, you know, build something really special. And then it's not very special if everybody and their brother does it. But there are no original ideas. And and this state has been so welcoming and um, and open to say, uh, here's a Twitter chat and here's a ton of resources. And this is what I do. And this is what you do. And this is how I can adapt it. And they're just so open to answering questions. I think that's been the best part about um, being involved in Twitter chats and, and cohorts and mm-hmm. uh, these groups is they're just they're so open. Is it just because we're just fine folks in the Midwest that live in Indiana? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't think it, I don't think it hurts anything. You know, isn't that the nature of education, though? Right. Like, who do you know that got into this for money and fame? <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, and we we all realize that we're better together. Uh, and it it all comes down to relationships too. It comes down to relationships in the classroom, whether that's online or face to face, and. We value the relationships in this community that we've developed. And I think we're all pretty decent too. Like no one's I don't feel like anyone's taking advantage of of sharing either. I think about our Google Plus community. So we have this really great Google Plus uh, group where anyone that is an e-learning coach or has an interest in provides professional development in any way around e-learning, you know, they're in this group. So this massive group of over 300 people, I believe, was the last time I looked. Um, we're constantly sharing. And I remember that I received, I was doing some Google Drive training, and Chris Young had shared this Google Drive poker slideshow and game. And I just thought it was brilliant. It was so fun. Um, and I totally stole it because the best teachers are thieves, but the best the best teachers are thieves that provide attribution because um, <laughs> we're good. <laughs> Hashtag IN Digit Week. Um, right. So, um, but what's great is I am quick to share out like, you know, this is, this is great for my friend, Chris Young, or, you know, I'll grab, um, I'm constantly sharing out. Kim Hendrick has created this really cool symbol of web mix that has a bunch of curated content when you're designing online, um, courses. And so I've taken it and remixed it a little bit and every chance I get, you know, I'm throwing a hat tip her way, um, so that people know. And I feel like we have a really respectful community. So I think if that were a little bit different, if people were, you know, using that information they get um, to benefit themselves and not to benefit kids, then I think that changes it. But yeah, we're, we're, I think it's a good group of Midwest folks, but I think that kind of is part of being a teacher too. So yeah, the educational field probably lends itself to those things. Mm -hmm. Uh, What are some strategies that you use to keep on top of, you know, the next big thing as far as professional development goes? I know you're providing a lot of professional development and leadership here at Wayne, but how do you stay on top of all that? Is it Twitter? Twitter's one way for sure. I think staying connected. But you know what? My latest um, professional development passion project, I'm so excited about. I mean, year two um, came from my teacher's. So I'm going to back you up a little bit. I have a group of night school teachers. They work in a blended environment. Um, There's four of them. They come in at night in a lab. Students move at their own pace. They choose what days they come in. And these teachers are the teachers that are there pulling small groups, facilitating the learning. Um, And they're a phenomenal group of teachers. They they make me so excited to come to work every day. They're so good at what they do. Um, And we do some interesting um, work. They're very much focused on... um, improving themselves like they're not a group of teachers that are going to say well this is an alternate population um you know this is a a different time of day and make excuses um there are no excuses with them which is part of what is so invigorating to work with them but anyway we basically went through a modified 
design thinking process to identify what are the what's the big hurdle we're facing right now, and then let's brainstorm as many ideas, crazy or not, that we can um, that could potentially help us solve this problem. And then we went through this whole process where we analyze each one for um, cost and the amount of training it would take for the teachers, the amount of uh, training it would take for the students, yada, yada, yada. And um, basically, they came upon this original idea that they called um, IEPs for every student. And, you know, they, they decided this is what we want to try. And I told them, you know, that, that's kind of, that's a name, it's a thing. Um, and we call them individualized learning plans. And so um, I worked with them. We developed this template in Google Docs. Um, to create this ILP, they had conversations with every single one of their uh, blended students, and they talked about uh, their interests, their strengths, their the things that kept them from being successful, what they wanted to be when they grew up, how many credits they had, their path to graduation. I mean, we, they covered all this. They had these really rich conversations that I think helped build relationships, help uh, make them better teachers um, for those students. But then um, the part that broke down where when they actually went to implement the plans, um, it didn't really work. Um, and the students, the students weren't referencing them. It's kind of out of sight, out of mind. The teachers couldn't manage it. Um, and we got back together for a reflection meeting to kind of look at where we were and where we're going next. And, you know, they easily could have been like, well, that was a failure. Let's throw this in and, and move on. Um, and what I was so inspiring to me was I had one teacher who said, okay, so that didn't work the way we did it, but personalizing learning for students, it's going to work. So what can we do differently? Um, and I mean, thankfully, my first uh, reaction was I kept myself from just spewing ideas, which tends to be, I'm a talker, and that tends to be my, my go-to. And I held myself back and realized I could sit here and give them ideas for something I've never done in my life, um, and that's not going to be super helpful. So uh, what I decided from then was, that, you know what, I'm going to do this for my staff. So I did it for all of the virtual school. We're talking about 60 teachers. Uh, we got together, and about that time, our LMS has a feature inside that has an ILP you could do it in a spreadsheet. I mean, I don't think the LMS is the tool that's the make or break. I think it's convenient because it's right there where our courses are. Um, but I decided, you know, we're going to get together. We created these plans. Um, we first met face-to-face -face and we talked. We created learner profiles. So what is it identifying, reflecting on themselves as a learner and a professional? Um, what their strengths were, their needs, their interests, their constraints. We called it a SNCC template. And I totally stole that, too, from some friends of mine in Denver Public Schools. Um, who do that with um, their staff as well. So then I had them do that, and I said, you know what, we're not turning these in. I don't need to see them. This is for you to advocate for yourself as a learner. You know, you now have a, a pretty solid idea of what works for you, what doesn't, and what you need to be successful. And uh, I honor, we got the ILPs out, and basically the non-negotiables were our school improvement plan goals. These are the things that, um, you know, we've identified at the leadership level of things we have to need to work on. So that's what we would have planned our PD around anyway. That's not gonna change. Um, but what can change is what that looks like for an algebra teacher versus a French teacher. Um, so I gave I gave them this, it's essentially a choice board. I feel like I shouldn't tell high school teachers it's a choice board though. So I gave them a list of possible activities they could do um, in two columns. One column was things you can do to learn the content. Another column were things you can do to demonstrate mastery. Um, lots of ideas. The same things I was doing anyway, leading webinars, creating online courses, participating in Twitter chats, having discussions around articles, building things for our courses, um, book studies. I mean, all these different ideas, some face-to-face -face opportunities, um, peer meetings, small group, and all the things I was doing anyway, but I'm letting them choose what works for them and on what topics and when. So they, they mapped out their ILP, what activities they were going to do, the approximate number of professional growth points associated with each of those things. I had to come back and kind of organize all of that. That was the hardest part was organizing, okay, what is everyone working on um, and how can I help facilitate this throughout the year? Um, I also didn't, something that was really important to me too is I didn't mandate a certain number of hours because um, I feel really strongly that we don't trust teachers enough. Um, and I think... 
I know this group of teachers and they want, they want to learn and they want to do what's best for kids. And I don't have to sit here and say, you will do 16 hours. Um, I give them a baseline, like heads up. If you attended all of our staff development last year, this is how many hours you would have gotten. If you think you need to do less, um, and really focus in on something, then do that. If you want to do more, go for it. Um, and no surprise to me at all. Uh, pretty much everybody put in way more hours than I would have expected in a traditional plan because um, they were doing what they wanted when they wanted um, learning, you know, in the style that they preferred. Um, so that was really powerful. And um, that was that was great. It was a lot to manage. I worked harder than I ever have. Um, but it was fun. It was rewarding work. And then this summer we got back together. It's our only time we get together face to face. And um, I involved them in the process again. It was like, we, we reflected on the year, what worked for you really well, what didn't work for you, and then what ideas do you have that could help um, fix that so that it does work for you, um, and collected all of that in this like massive padlet and evolved it again. So, uh, and this year it's a, it's a different setup, but uh, similar, more structured. We have four different ILPs throughout the year um, because they, they did want some deadlines instead of just the deadline at the end of the year. Um, and that was just one of the ideas, so we changed it. So to get back to your question that happened 30 minutes ago, um, <laughs> I, I told you I was a talker. Well, we're going to talk about time because I, I, cause I think that I, I think like I love everything that you said. But how have you created that that second order change for those educators that are going to say this is great? But how how will I ever have the time to create individualized learning plans or the ILPs? For, for each of my students if I wanted to adopt that and use it in my classroom um, because it's awesome. It's phenomenal. But I, I guess there, there are probably those of us that maybe struggle with how do we, how do we create that? How do we create that change in those teachers to say, to flip from around, like, I don't have the time to do that to, oh, I know this is going to benefit me in the classroom in the long term. So what have you, what are some strategies that you've adopted to do that? Well, I think, I think that was the whole purpose of doing it. Like, one of the biggest struggles they had was management of the whole process. And so before I was going to give them advice on how to make it better, like, I needed to know what that was like. And so I had to manage it on top of, you know, this one school is not my, my whole job either. I've got a lot on my plate, um, and providing professional development for them was a, a piece of that. Um, and so I had to find ways to manage it. Um, and so I think for leaders, walking the walk is really important. Um, because now I can have honest conversations about what this looks like um, with students. My students are just adults. Um, But at the same time, I feel really strongly about personalization. I think the biggest, how I frame it in my mind, how I frame it for teachers, the biggest difference between personalization and differentiation is the teacher's role. Differentiation is all teacher. Teacher making changes and making decisions for the students, and there's a place for that. I'm I'm absolutely, I'm not saying get rid of differentiation. Personalization is where the, you teach the student to advocate for themselves as a learner, and they do the work. And so if you're doing it right, you're not putting in the effort. The, the students are. You're creating the structures, and you're, and you're facilitating that work. And here's the thing. I didn't do anything differently than I normally I, – I created the same number of online professional development courses, so I created the same amount of content. I did the same number of – you know, lecture style presentations. I did the same number of small group meetings with teachers. Um, um, what I did was I worked, I was smarter about when I'd receive um, information like in my inbox about webinars that were coming up or I'd receive articles um, and blogs that I was reading. I was much more intentional about not just reading that and taking the extra step and sharing it with everyone. And so realizing that I didn't need to be the single agent of knowledge for this group of teachers. Um, and I think it's the same kind of concept in the classroom too. Like you, when I was in school and when I was in elementary school and I didn't have a smartphone or ready access to the internet, I relied on the teacher and the set of Encyclopedia Britannica in the corner of the classroom for all of the content that I received. Um, and that was really important. And that's what I needed at that, at that point in time. That's not the teacher's role anymore. And so giving up some of that control, I think, um, is important. If, if you go into it with that same mindset, yeah, you're going to, it's, it's not going to work. That's so important, right? Like right. just giving a little bit, and I talked about this in previous podcasts, but just giving students a little bit of, um, ownership and like mm-hmm. letting them, letting them go. I, 
come from a project-based class. I taught a project-based class for eight years, so I was used to that. But mm-hmm. it's it's been the one biggest barrier, I think, that has um, really hindered some of our educators from moving forward is I just don't feel like I can give students control because pandemonium and chaos will break right. out into my classroom. Well, and it's not about just saying, okay, kids, go to Google and have fun. Um, right. See what you can find. Um, it has to be structured. We all understand Absolutely. That. But you know what? I think starting small can really turn the light bulb on. I think about uh, one teacher in her district. She's a sixth grade teacher. She's absolutely fantastic and um, just a little bit uh, like an optimistic fear of technology. Like it's, she doesn't really, you know... She'll... I love that. Wait a minute. I'm writing it down. <laughs> optimistic fear. <laughs> like never, no one would ever describe her as a naysayer, but it's not something she's super comfortable with. Um, and she was doing this really cool, and, and I don't I don't want to use her name because I haven't asked permission to share the story, um, but she's fantastic. And um, she was doing this project. It was a, They were learning about developing timelines, and it was within this uh, social studies content. And normally what she'd done is everybody makes a poster, and you, write, you draw it out. And um, she introduced it. That was what they were going to do in the class. And she had one group of boys who were really into Minecraft on their video game system, and they were constantly, like, collaborating in Minecraft together at home. And so they went up to her, and they are like, can we just do this at home in Minecraft? We could build a timeline in Minecraft. We can work on it together, and then we can bring our PlayStation in and show the whole class. And... Um, so she she calls me and she said, can can I do that? I don't even know what Minecraft is. And, and I was like, yeah, like, let's make it happen. Yeah. Why not? I want to see what they can do. And what's interesting, I came in for the, the presentation to the class and um, she didn't know anything about the tool. She didn't know how to use it. She wasn't going to be able to troubleshoot for them. Um, they brought in their PlayStation. We hooked it up to the projector. They demonstrated to the class this massive community they built where the timeline was a bunch of buildings and you walked into each building and had all this information and multimedia content. Just phenomenal. Like, I can't imagine the number of hours that was that were spent on what could have been a 20-minute poster project. And then and then they blew it up in front of their whole class and that was the, the highlight of the whole presentation, um, which I will never understand how you devote that many hours to something and then blow it up. Right. Um, but it was phenomenal. They had... They had such a good time. The The work was meaningful to them. They enjoyed it. They were engaged. They were empowered. Uh, way more important than engagement, I think. And um, the teacher didn't have to know anything about it. And I think that that opened her eyes to the possibility. And it's amazing what you've seen with that small shift that it's okay that I gave up a little control. She structured the learning. She um, she set the parameters. She get, you know She facilitated it. But I think it's freeing to know... Like, imagine if I were going to plan a Minecraft, you know, activity. I have to know Minecraft. I have to teach the students how to use it for the ones that don't use it. I have to be able to troubleshoot. Um, we're just giving students choice. that didn't take any extra planning. Um, it was easier on her and her students were more engaged. So it was a win-win. So I think finding those small opportunities for personalization um, not thinking, okay, well, I need to jump in now and create ILPs for all of my students, and they're going to choose how they how they learn and how they demonstrate mastery of their learning for every for every unit across a, a subject area. I don't think that's a good place to start. I think um, that's not a place that's not a place where you get buy-in. Um, so I think those little opportunities can can help that shift because it's not going to happen until you see the benefit of empowering your students and handing that control over to them. Michelle's still feeling the effects of Hurricane Irma. That's <laughs> 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 what I like to say. Uh, she's under the weather, if I you can't know. tell. But it's awesome. Like it, you're, you're being a champion for everyone that has ever been sick. You're like Michael Jordan. Like Thank game, you. Game seven, you've, taken some, you've had some Gatorade. I love that. You know, I told you earlier that, every, I mean, I think everyone thinks this. Like, in my head, my voice sounds really great. And then I listen to myself recorded, and I sound like a, a mouse. Like, it's so high-pitched. I could be a Disney character. Um, so being sick lowers it an octave or two, which I, I think I'm going to like this. Everyone actually. everyone thinks that their voice sounds horrible. <laughs> right. Like, that's not a... I, I, think the, I think Bob and Tom, when they go back and listen to themselves, they go, yeah. oh, you know what? I sound pretty terrible on, on the radio or, uh, you know, any audio version of my voice. I'm excited for Sick Michelle. I think she sounds better. 
With we'll sick, see. <laughs> sick yeah, we're here with sick Michelle. That's right. Uh, so, our, I, I, lastly, before we leave, and this has been the whole chat's been awesome. I had this question. You know, everybody has their own goalpost when it comes to success. So, where do you fit when it comes to a successful e-learning, online blended learning um, initiatives? Where do you fit in that success category? How do you feel like? When do you feel like that program has become successful? That's a good question. I think the litmus test for online learning. As an online learning advocate, I believe strongly that we can not only do everything online just as well as we can do it in a face-to-face classroom, I think we can do it better sometimes. Um, And that is not a generally accepted position on online learning. And so, and, and I feel really strongly about it because of the online learning that I've experienced. And I think, I think that's the, the kicker. Uh, most of us have a hard time providing good online instruction because we've never experienced it as a student. You think about most of the online learning that you've probably, I mean, we're relatively young, and I'm going to guess that most of the online learning that you've experienced was less than stellar. Um, we all can think about those bad online classes that we've had to take in college or in our grad work. Um, for me, I was really fortunate at IUPUI. Um, my entire master's was online, and it was so phenomenal. I made so many connections um, that I I credit with me getting to this point in my career. And we're all um, products of our environment, right? So, like, yes. my my experience with online learning is different from your experience, mm-hmm. and um, you must have had a really you must have had a great experience because you're phenomenal. so passionate about it. So talk a little bit about your, mm. talk a little bit about that master's. You, you had your master's through IUPUI, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah, yeah. Um, in instructional technology? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was uh, education with a focus on technology. Um, just just phenomenal. So we went, it was a cohort. So we all, um, all of my classmates, I followed throughout the whole program. Um, but it basically busted all the myths about online learning. Like it was collaborative. I got, I built relationships um, I think that was what was most surprising to me. I didn't go into it an online learning advocate. This online learning fell into my lap. Um, I, When I started my master's program, I had these lofty ideas about academia. I was going you know, to go back to my alma mater and be a professor. Um, and I, had, I spoke to some of my mentors um, back at my uh, at Butler, where I went to school, about what I should study for my master's. And I was told... You know, really specialize in your doctorate. If you're going to get your doctorate anyway, do something that's going to make you a better teacher now. Um, and then this this master's program kind of came across my desk, and it was like a focus on technology. I've always been techie. I'm, you know, proud daughter of a nerd. and But I never really knew how to leverage it in the classroom. So I was like, this could be fun. I might learn something as, you know, as a second grade teacher. And I finished that class um, so connected I, you know, really made connections with my current boss, um, other people in online learning and ed tech. Um, it was phenomenal to me. And I had never, I never thought you could do that online. Um, and so, you know, this position was created for me after that here in Wayne. And um, that's kind of taken off since then. And so I think, to kind of go back to your original question, like, how do you know it's successful? When you can feel good that, you know what, this is just as good, just as rigorous just, I feel as confident about the credits I'm giving in this online class as I would if I were doing it face to face. We're not, we're not a hundred percent there. Um, but when I don't hear, you know, I could do this better if I were right there in front of, in front of the kids, I think that's successful. Um, and a lot of that I have to model too, like to be perfectly honest that my professional development journey with the virtual school when I first started creating online courses for PD, um, this is embarrassing to admit as an online learning person, but I looked at kind of the, the scope uh, and sequence of what I needed to cover in PD, and I chose the cupcake topics. Like, what's going to be so easy? This really self-inflated idea that I have to be present for the really tough stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I put that, I, I put the easy stuff online, save the hard stuff for, for me face-to-face, because somehow my face makes um, the work so much easier, right? Um, and I learned so quickly, like, that it was so much easier for me to get real collaboration happening, for real work to be created and shared in this online environment, that if I just gave a little bit more flexibility in time, that I could meet with more people, I could provide more individualized um, 
instruction and help. Um, and I got so much, I got better work, um, built better community and more people participating when it was online. And so it was like, wow, I should have known that. (laughs) Yeah. There's something to this. Right. And, And so at that point, immediately following that, when I was developing online content, I looked completely opposite. What's the really, what's the really hard stuff? We're going to put that online. We're going to dedicate a month to it where you have all month to work on it. Um, because I know I'm going to work harder in that, in that time period than I would in an hour long face to face. Um, but this work matters and it deserves the time. So I'm getting off on a tangent, which I have a tendency to do, but I I think that's how I know it's successful when it's not this cheap imitation, uh, which isn't easy. I think um, that's one of my soapboxes, one of many. I have a whole, whole collection of them. <laughs> uh, but one of my soapboxes is you have to do things really differently online, and that's the only way it's going to be better or even equivalent. Um, if, if all you're ever doing is trying to perfectly replicate the face-to-face experience, then online will always be subpar compared to the face-to-face experience. But if you design differently for a different environment and we don't, try to do things exactly the same, then we can, we can create just as rich of a learning experience online. So that's kind of, that's the flag I bear. That's what, that's what my work is. It's all about. Um, and that's, if I can, that's the test. If I feel like the experience is equivalent or better. So put you on the spot. What, what tools do you use? Do you have some go-to tools when it comes to online and blended learning? that you're like, these are the ones that I use, I feel mm-hmm. like, because you've got a lot of experience in it. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of those things that you feel like teachers could jump right into to start kind of building a blended learning opportunity for their classrooms? This is probably going to be a disappointing answer. Um, I generally suggest if you have an LMS, if you can do as much within the LMS using the tools inside of that, even if you can find a flashier version of it outside to bring in, it's always better. Um, because... Again, we have those ideas that, oh, students are good with technology and they can pick up on things. We can overwhelm them with too many tool options, um, especially when we're not there standing shoulder to shoulder to help them. So I generally try to help teachers build inside of um, the LMS and use the tools that are there because, you know, we have this really rich environment, this great platform. Um, it's fully functioning. Um, I try to leverage as much of that as possible. Um, but... I, um, let's see, a few of my favorite tools. I think, like, an oldie but a goodie. I've been using it since it was called Wallwisher. Um, but Padlet, that's one of those go-tos that's so simple. It takes almost zero understanding, um, like, entry point for students, which I think is really good. It can be embedded um, into learning environments, which is great. Um, and I think about Padlet's one of my favorites because I work almost entirely in a synchronous learning environment. So students are working at their own pace. They're um, like at our virtual school, it's rolling registration. So we could have we could have a student register today for our online classes while we've had other students start working since July. Um, so not everyone's at the same place, and that flexibility is is needed. It's necessary for a lot of our students, um, but that also makes collaboration difficult when it's not teacher paced. So. Um, when you think about tools that can make thinking visible, even if it doesn't have to happen at the same time, I love those kind of tools. So things like Flipgrid, Padlet, they're simple to use, um, and it doesn't matter if someone posted two weeks ago. Um, when I get on today and I post, I can still benefit from interacting and viewing the thoughts of others. And I think anytime, um, anytime you can even create a presence. So even if a student is working almost independently in this course, um, anytime you can let them know they're not alone, I mean, that's huge. It's one of the biggest complaints about online learning, and it's one of the easiest things you can mess up, is that you create this isolating experience with, like, the student and their computer screen. Um, And so any quick win you can do there, that's why I like those kind of tools. But I think, honestly, one of the best things you can put in your online class is your face. Um, And that's and, and people hate that, like, oh, I have a bad hair day or whatever. Like, you go to school every day face-to-face, your kids see you, and honestly, these guys don't care about your bad hair day. Um, they, you know, they're going to be so much more engaged and so much more connected to you and the content if you just put a face to the name. And so I'm constantly encouraging, um, and for us, it's built in right into the platform. So you click the video button and you record yourself. I'd much rather see recorded video comments um, to a paper than 
a whole bunch of text that students are going to skim over. Done some training sessions with some video work, and uh, what normally happens is the camera comes on, they see their face, and they're like, ah, no, right. I don't want to be on camera. Um, so. I get it. I get it. Too. I'm the same way, but I have to remind myself. Like, We're so self-conscious, right, about <laughs> about seeing ourselves and, like, that tool. I know I, when I first started the PD journey, um, doing a lot of online development, you know, professional development for our corporation, I was I, I'm kind of a perfectionist, and I like to have a script, and I like to <laughs> I like to make sure I know what I'm going to say. So I've got my little script, and uh, you know, when I first started, I I build my little script, and then I have my video ready, and I go go, and then I would do my thing, and then if I messed up, I'd stop it, and I'd go, I have to redo it. Right. But we watch YouTube videos all the time about building a deck or like fixing the garbage disposal. And those people are like, all right, here we go. We're, you know, and they're not, no one is making any, no one's making any edits. No one's trying no. to be perfect and you're still learning something. So I got, I got over that pretty quick. Um, and I, I think teachers do too, because we're so adaptive. Mm -hmm. And what happens is like, Okay, so I'm doing it once or twice, and I'm like, oh, no, I don't look right, or I need to do that again. And then all of a sudden, they're just like, you know what? I just get to the point where like, no, I'm just doing it. The phone rings in the middle of it. No, yeah. Hey, I'm going to have to call you back, you know, and I just keep going. So. My dogs make cameos in a lot of my... Oh, there you go. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, you know, and I think about it, like, we don't, we don't worry about that face-to-face, -face, so we just have to get over it, um, get over that kind of fear. You know, one more, one more tool that I've recently... It's not, not discovered. I just recently was like, jumped into using it. Ed puzzle. When you have students that aren't sitting with you face to face, it can make. Um, I'm constantly thinking about. Okay, I'm going to go on another tangent. Be, uh, I'm ready. Lis listener beware. <laughs> listener um, beware. <laughs> I think uh, there are three kinds of interaction that every online lesson, experience, class should have, and that student to student interaction. So opportunities for whether it's synchronously or asynchronously, opportunities for students to interact teacher-to-student interaction, um, so it should be very obvious that there is a teacher that's a part of this. There is no good online course that doesn't involve a teacher, and I am never, ever worried about online learning replacing a teacher. Um, and they need good teachers more than anything. Um, and then the third is uh, student-to-content interaction, and that can take a couple, that can look a couple of different ways. One, it can be actually interactive content, um, like Edpuzzle, which is a tool that I, I love to use where you can create this passive video watching experience, um, upload a YouTube video, add in opportunities for you to add in audio or throw in a question. Um, it's really simple to get students um, into your class and look at their feedback. That was kind of my biggest fear with a really transient population that and in a virtual environment, students coming in and out throughout the whole semester. Um, I was worried about that, managing the class. It's so simple. Um, and so I can get data about what students are thinking as they're going through what would normally just been a passive lecture. Um, and it makes it interactive. And it's also nice that you can ensure that students are watching it. Like, let's just reality here for a second. Um, so that's one kind. So creating interactive content. So that's why I like that. Also, take a moment. Have you seen H5P? No. Oh, goodness. Okay, you said you're going to post this podcast today. If you don't get on h5p.org okay. um, today, because it won't happen, you'll just play. Um, H5P is an HTML5, it's an open source HTML5 community. And basically, um, all of the people that are way smarter than me and know the code um, create these HTML5 learning objects. And all you have to do is go pick which one you want, plug and play your information, and you can create this really great interactive content. Um, like accordion view text so that you're clicking and opening up um, text. You can create hotspot images. You can create interactive videos, uh, full website layouts. You know what? I saw one teacher. Um, you can create those personality quizzes. So we were talking um, BuzzFeed earlier. And on BuzzFeed, you can take like every uh, Harry Potter quiz, find out, you know, your favorite food means what house you're in. Um, you can create all those personality quizzes. Um, there's one on HIP where you can create a personality quiz. And so I had a teacher before um, some Shakespeare unit created a personality quiz where they answered questions and found out which character that they would be based on those answers. So just a fun, like, uh, fun way to add in some, some delight into your courses. So that one is really great. Another way to create, take static content and make it dynamic. Um, so tools like that I think are really important. But then also... Um, Student-to-content interaction happens 
with static content too. So if I want you to watch a video and I'm not going to put it in ad puzzle and add four different questions, I'm going to have you do something with that video after, whether it's going to a Padlet wall and brainstorming some ideas, maybe it's getting in a Google doc and doing some collaborative note taking. Um, I love doing like they say, I say structures when they're watching videos. If I'm going to have you read an article, then we're going to participate in a discussion after. Um, we're going to do something with the content because one of the worst things you can do in an online course is see a long list of content and then a quiz at the end. Um, cause I'm a good student. I am a rule follower. And if, when I see that, I'm going straight to the quiz. I'm going to find out exactly what I need to find out. And I'm going to cherry pick which resources I need to use to get past that quiz. It's not about my learning. It's about getting past that quiz. Um, and so if I'm a good student and I care really <laughs> about following the rules, um, imagine what teenagers are doing when they see when they see that. Um, so I think it's really important if you if you think it's it's imperative that students experience some resource, then you need to have them interacting with it in some way. Um, I can't even remember what the original question was, but I got us there. Um, you did no. any any content? There we go. So interaction is important. It looks a lot of different uh, looks different depending on the type of interaction you're creating. But this tools is really cool tools like this um, can get you there. Yeah, we looked up H H5P, H5P.org, for yeah. those that want to just type it in and go. Um, just awesome stuff. So before we leave, so you you have a day job. I do. You're here I 8 do. to 5. Yeah, 8 to about, 4, yeah. 8, 3, Close, 30. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you're teaching online courses, mm -hmm. which tend to bleed over into the evenings probably at some mm -hmm. point. You're running Twitter chats. Mm -hmm. uh, you're pretty busy. So yeah. so how do you juggle, how do you manage stress? How do you manage your day-to-day? -day? What do you do? What do, you, do you have, a, you got a hobby? Because like, I don't <laughs> see a whole lot of time in Michelle's schedule to be doing anything other than being an awesome uh, district leader and blended learning uh, guru for their corporation. So what what else, what are you doing to like manage, what are some good tips for those out there that are just like, you, do you have any good, you've got to have good tips because you're like, you're you're the most bubbly person I know <laughs> and you've got to be like the most stressed out person no, all day long. You can't be stressed. Right? It's hard to be stressed when you're doing what you love. I think we all make time for the things we love, right? Mm -hmm. And every single thing I do just energizes me, like all of this. So I work with ICE. Um, my job doesn't feel like a job. Um, I always say I think people are going to like roll their eyes through the computer. Um, but I, Mondays only suck if your job does. I love coming to work on Monday. Like it's, I, I love being here. Um, so I don't know. I guess I just don't, I don't stress out that much. I do. You know what? I, you got to make time for yourself. I'm really into Netflix. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I can. I can. Uh, you can binge, shut down. You can binge a series. And like I no started. Other. I just started Game of Thrones. Oh. Yeah. Oh, well, you just wait. You just started. <laughs> um, I have this feeling that the writers don't really care at all how I feel about characters <laughs> no, in that don't. series. They don't. They, um, they don't at all. Yeah. So I don't know if I have any great tips. Find. You know. Do the things you love. If you don't love it, find something. Find something different to do. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome advice. That's great <laughs> advice. Well, we can all tell that you really enjoy the work that you're doing. And thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah. This is fun. Guest number two. That's awesome. Isn't that cool? That's really yeah. cool. Yeah, so this will be up uh, as soon as we can. And we appreciate everybody listening in. Uh, Michelle, tell everybody where you can, where they can find you on Twitter again before we leave. <laughs> I don't even know how to pronounce my Twitter handle. <laughs> there is no, per, there is no correct. <laughs> Eaton, um, M-I-C-H-E. And then Eaton, E-A-T-O-N. And make you, sure you participate in the... I Need Learn Twitter chat. I, I like this little learn. closed reading. I'm so excited, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Uh, and uh, again, thanks for being here, and it's been a phenomenal chat.